Hello and welcome to CotiCast, the elderly care podcast for debate, discussion and analysis of issues relating to general and geriatric medicine. Uh, my name's Nick and joining me today I've got uh, Mark Garside, uh, one of the AME founders. Hi Mark. Hello. And also joining me I've got Lewis Potter. Hi there. So Lewis is joining us today very kindly. He's a doctor but also the founder of geekymedics.com. Today we're going to be discussing the positives and the negatives of technology uh, in medical education. So firstly, let's let's talk a little bit about geekymedics.com. Tell me a little bit about it. Uh, so Geekymedics is an online medical education platform that allows sort of medical students to learn clinical skills at their convenience on any device that they're choosing. Um, and I started that now eight years ago. And uh, it, it was a side project that I was doing alongside university when I was a fourth-year student. And it, it was a sort of side project through found my foundation years. But it, it picked up an audience as it went along and developed some um, quite a good following, actually. So it, I, was, I was sort of dragged more into it, almost without planning to be that involved into it. And it took more and more of my time, and I took it more and more seriously. And now, now I'm spending sort of half of my time on the website itself and half the time at work. Okay. And it's a website, but you've also got an app, is that right? That's correct, yeah. So it's a website which is free and anyone can access. And there's also an app which launched uh, just over a year ago. And the app basically presents a lot of the content that's on the website in a, in a really nice sort of mobile-friendly way that's accessible regardless of internet connectivity, which can be handy on the wards um, when your 4G or your Wi-Fi access isn't great. Okay. But from looking at your website, one of the advantages of it that I can see is that it invites other contributors, doesn't it? So it's not just the original pool of authors. It's as it's grown, more people have contributed to it, a wider variety of cases and different perspectives and so on. And it's uh, um, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff on there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's one of the best parts about it. And I sort of named it Geeky Medics, not really thinking about that, but it's worked quite well because it... It sort of invites a community, I think, the name of it itself. Yeah, there are lots of geeky medics out there, aren't yeah. there? Who knew? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and your target audience, who's that mainly? I mean, I'd say medical students, largely, and more towards the clinical years. That obviously varies between universities in terms of the emphasis on clinical work. Um, but we do have a following of uh, sort of paramedic, student paramedics, nurse practitioners, and um, associate practitioners, more so in the U.S., but obviously that'll probably become more of an audience here uh, since the, the sort of courses of that sort of thing have just started. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, I mean, it obviously takes up quite a lot of your time. How does it, financially, how does that work out for you? Yeah, so, I mean, it didn't make any money for the first uh, five to six years. Um, so it was just all personal investment. But thanks to the way the web is now, it was actually very cheap to run. Um, so I wasn't breaking the bank to do it. It was more of a time cost than anything else. Uh, and I just learned to do things as I went along to save money, basically. So I learned how to do a website in the first place and then how to set up the server and then how to... I didn't have any artwork and I couldn't really afford to pay for the good stuff, which I liked because <laughs> it was copyrighted. So I chose to do pixel art because it's yeah. sort of a simple artwork that I could do. I'm terrible at drawing. Uh, and I thought, you know what, at some point I'll fix this and move to something better. But it's become part of the brand now, so sort of accidentally... But yeah, so I just sort of done as much as I possibly can along the way to minimise the cost. And then since launching the app, that generates money from an in-app purchase fee. So users can download it, but if they want access to all of the content, they pay a one-off fee for access. And that's really just to cover the development costs, because I, I don't do the development of the app. I do the 
the user interface design, but I'm just not good enough for the other stuff. So I have to pay people, and these people are expensive. <laughs> um, so just just to not make a loss, I need to charge. But the idea is hopefully for it to be more profitable so that I can take a wage alongside a part-time salary. Okay. And tell me a little bit about the entrepreneurial fellowship within the NHS. Yeah, so that's a new initiative that I stumbled across when I was working in Australia just on a random blog. And uh, they basically launched it because they saw this problem of junior doctors and uh, registrars and consultants feeling that they either had to choose to be full-time with the NHS clinical work or leave the NHS and to chase a venture and that there was no middle ground. And I think a lot of people had had things said to them like, you're not showing commitment to training by even considering doing this other project. And there was that sort of mentality. So this came about to try and marry the two so you could get less than full-time training or six months out to work on your project and the NHS would support you. They don't provide money, but they provide mentorship. And every six weeks they have what's called pit stops where you meet up and they cover a range of business and startup topics uh, from sort of starting a business, legal issues, idea idea generation, all that stuff. So it's really good actually and they get some really good speakers. Great. So when are we going to see you on Dragon's Den loose? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yes. But, I, you know, I think um, what you said before about doing everything on the, the cheap um, is an important point because when we started Amy, we did a similar sort of thing. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be done badly and with a, a bit of um, enthusiasm and interest mm. and, and effort, you can teach yourself how to do these things. And there are so many resources out there for very little yeah. cost yeah. Um, that if you've got the inclination, you can you can pull things together and, and just start creating this this platform for yourself. No, absolutely. I mean, I think a, a tech amateur is an understatement to use to use for me. But you obviously, you know, created the website for the for the AME. Uh, how did you learn that yourself, or teach yourself, or how did that come about? Yeah, so um, I'm I would say I'm a tech enthusiast, but I'd never done anything like that before. Uh, I uh, realised that we needed to set up a website to advertise what we were doing and to create a, a, a platform through which people could contact us and so on. And it was just a case of going on the internet, doing a bit of Googling and a bit of research and reading about the different ways of doing it and then picking one of those ways and just having a go, really. Um, and, you know, there are lots of people that have been through similar processes and shared their experiences and you're just standing on their shoulders and, and learning through experience, really. Absolutely. I just went on forums and tried and then when I got stuck, asked people who were in the know, and people were quite actually friendly because they saw you were trying at least and they would they would sort of point you in the right direction at least. And I know that with the AME we use a fair bit of social media so we use YouTube for our mini gem projects and we also use um, Twitter quite a lot. Um, do you think that there's, I, I mean I know that you use Instagram for instance with mm. Geeky Medics. Um, I don't know if you guys feel that there are any downsides to using social media in, in this forum. I think social media is great and a lot of our audience watches our videos on YouTube and it's a fantastic thing because YouTube pays for the hosting for one, which makes it cheap to distribute information, you know, regardless of the size of the audience. So that's an amazing thing in and of itself. Uh, so I think YouTube is fantastic. Um, I would say there are some downsides to it. I think that the, the platform doesn't sometimes fit with the content people put on it. So I think sometimes with Twitter, for instance, with the sort of 140 character limit, people try and stuff things into Twitter that 
really Twitter isn't an ideal platform for just because they want to do social media. Um, and I think just like with any tool, you know, there's tools are good at certain things and not so good at others. And you just have to kind of pick. Don't just do it because you think it, it's cool or that it's, it's new. If actually it just makes the experience worse for the students. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing to remember with all these free tools is that whilst they are great and they have a far uh, reach in terms of the audience you can uh, you can put your message across to, with uh, free tools like YouTube, you just have to be a little bit mindful that by using them, it's free because they make money out of the content that you upload to their servers and you you know sign away the copyright and, and so on so you've got to be comfortable with that um there are other things that are free that have less catches to them things like the the platforms you can build websites on um that are open source which means that lots of people have contributed to them and the code for these things is out there and every, anybody can use that but the more commercial things are things that are more resource intensive like youtube and so on um it does sometimes have those those catches and you you just have to be aware of that really it's not a bad thing necessarily it's just no, yeah. being aware that free is not always completely free yeah. you're giving your content to these platforms yeah. essentially aren't you yeah. so you've got to be just careful before you embark on something and make sure you know the rules would that be fair to say yeah I think so yeah I think just look at look at what the risks and benefits are you know that the benefits are you get free free distribution of videos and if you're distributing a lot of videos to a lot of people that would be insanely expensive and probably infeasible for you to do yourself um but obviously the negatives like you were saying you don't you're giving that content to someone and they put maybe an advert next to it that you maybe wouldn't agree with and yeah. all this kind of stuff yeah. yeah okay uh mark tell me what's what's meant by the term fomed so phone stands for free open access um, medical education so foam fomeds same sort of thing uh, and it's uh, it's a way of identifying content that people have created uh, that they want to be widely available so rather than putting behind a paywall and charging for access to the the content um, it's uh, it's doing it for the, the greater good i suppose and uh, lots of people are involved in this um, it's this whole movement in medical education to put stuff out there available online freely and uh, it's usually uh, advertised uh, through social media with the hashtag foam or, or, or fomed okay now that all obviously sounds very positive and we've talked a little bit a lot about the positives um, of uh, online and technology in medical education so it's probably important that we talk a little bit about the negatives if that's all right um, so our uh, fellow AME member James Fisher and, and some other uh, uh, of his colleagues have released a paper called The Dark Side of Technology in Medical Education. There were a few things that, that were interesting in there that I thought we could perhaps discuss. So first question is uh, to you, Mark. Um, are we breeding shorter attention spans or what they call butterfly minds? Uh Possibly. Uh, so the, there is a, a trend towards more abbreviated content. And I suppose we are, in Amy, guilty of that a little bit ourselves because, uh, you know, we use Twitter quite a lot and our mini gems, the, in, the entire MO of the mini gems, our YouTube videos are to make them uh, brief and concise because we want them to be more accessible to people. So uh, you, the trade-off with that is that obviously you lose a lot of depth of the, the content, but it's like Lewis was saying before that every different resource has its own context in which is best used. So, for example, the mini gems aren't intended to be completely comprehensive guides to 
clinical conditions and topics. They're more like a, an overview and they always end with references and resources to direct people where they can find out more. Um, but I think it's probably fair to say that I suspect that attention spans generally in um, the current uh, climate of all the internet things that are available is, is a bit shorter. And you know, I'm, I find that myself. Um, I find it more difficult now to sit down and read a, a whole uh, paper, uh, an old academic paper, because I'm just used to skimming things. Yeah. Um, I, d I don't know how much of a problem that is as long as you're aware of it, I guess. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's just this huge swath of information now that's bombarding us all every day in different notifications. And I think we're just sort of wired in this dopamine circuit to you know get rid of those red icons on apps and all this stuff. And I'm sure that probably does have some effect. But I think it's certainly not in a chasm of only medical education. Like you said, it's more a wider context problem. Yeah. Um, and I think as long as people... You know, are aware that when they're skimming, that, that they're only skimming and they're not really getting in depth yeah. and knowing everything they need to know about whatever condition, that's fine. Um, and I think the context in which a lot of these people learn this stuff, it's it's when they when they watch a mini gem, they maybe wouldn't have they've not replaced the time they were about to sit and read a deep paper with that. They had you know a few minutes spare, and they yeah. got something out of that few minutes rather than nothing. Is what I would think. Absolutely, I think I think. Doctors are so busy during the day that perhaps they don't want to spend an hour uh, reading something. They might just, you know, perhaps on a train or on a bus want to spend, you know, just 10 minutes yeah. quickly going over something. And I think that was your initial idea with the with the podcast that you yeah. initially started with. And, uh, you know, you've, you've touched on it there, but part of the other problem is that because there is so much out there, it's knowing how to filter that information mm. and get to what you want and what mm. is good content and what is maybe less good content. So I think increasingly there's going to be a um, an opportunity for, for content curation so you can signpost people to good quality educational mm. resources. Um, the, uh, the NHS through Health Education England had... Uh, started to put together a, a TEL, uh, Technology Enhanced Learning uh, Gateway, they were going to call it, um, whereby people could advertise the different resources that were available. And their plan was to have an Amazon-style rating system mm. so that users rated these different things. And then, naturally, the things that were uh, rated more highly floated to the, the top. Um, whether that's ever going to happen now, I don't know. It's sort of been on hiatus for the last couple of years. But that's, that's the sort of thing I think that would be helpful. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to rate the quality, um, uh, but how do we rate the co the content? So anybody could, yeah. in theory, create a, a mini gem or a, a, another form of online uh, educational tool. Yeah. But how do we control what's put into that and that it's actually factually accurate? Accurate. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Lewis. Do you do you and your team? It's it's a big problem. Um, because quality assurance everywhere is difficult, you know, and just because something's in a book doesn't mean it's good quality either, but the bar is higher to get that information into the book. So that filters out probably a lot of the people who just throw something up without thinking about it. But I think actually a lot of the focus should be on the education of students and us as doctors to be able to critically appraise these things. We talk about it a lot with papers, and I think it's going to be more and more true with just any information. There's going to be so much of it. And you can't have a you know a rating system for everything. It's just not going to work. Who does the rating? You know how do they scale that across the internet? Mm -hmm. I would hope that the good stuff rises to the top on the internet, yeah. and that Google you know 
and all these other people who surface information sort of look at quality signals and hopefully with clever algorithms can create something that scales across the amount of information there is. But I don't think there's a simple sort of silver bullet solution. I think having the brands like the Geeky Medics and Amy probably helps. I mean, uh, for the mini gems, we do our own internal peer review of mm. the, the content. Now, people have to take that on trust yes. uh, as a de- to a degree. Um, and actually, I don't think on the website we advertise it really in terms of how it's peer reviewed. Um, but as more of them have appeared and as we've been around for longer and we have... Um, uh, an audience and a, a user base who access our content. Uh, I suppose that 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 uh, gives us a deg- you know people have a degree of confidence in us yeah, because yeah. they've they've seen the material before. Um, I think I think you feel probably a more responsibility. Well, the absolutely, more yeah. You have yeah. Because the more potential negative yeah. impact you'd have with the wrong stuff. Yeah, so I definitely feel that now. So you want to make sure that you maintain that reputation mm. for high quality content. So we talked a little bit about the positives and the negatives. Um, it'd be interesting from the pair of you to discuss what you think is next in terms of um, technology and medical education. Where do you think we're moving to? Mm-hmm. It's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you on the spot. Yeah, I think that the way things are going at the moment, there's going to be more and more focus on content that scales well across all these different device types. And because I think at the moment, even though we're doing well on the mobile front things, it's not as good as it could be. So I think there'll be more focus on things being maybe built mobile first, but able to scale across devices. And I think there's probably going to be some big shifts in terms of the way information is disseminated. Because, you know, the Internet is a fantastic tool for one to many communication, far better than a lecture theatre. And I think, you know, some lectures, there is added value for physical presence, but there's a lot of lectures when you're one of 300, that you could have you could have done that asynchronous, asynchronously, um, you know, watch that. Like Newcastle University record lectures now. And even when I was in fourth year, I watched a lot of those lectures without being there. And I felt like I got maybe more value out of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that the universities are going to have to really work hard to these physical experiences they create. They're going to have to work hard to make those more worthwhile uh, and think more about what is the reason we're bringing 300 people into a room at a set time, at a set place for? Do we need to do this? So I think there'll be a lot of shifts there. But yeah, it's difficult to say. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a shift of the university business model. So Interesting. And the, but the question is also, is how can we assume that all junior learners or medical students now are going to be tech savvy enough to, to manage all this, this new technology that's coming through? Perhaps the old school lecture theatre style works well for some people and not for others I don't know I'm sure that'll be true mm. because there's no one, one size fits all answer um, but I think what we've seen with the advances in technology over the last 10-15 uh, years or more is that things that have been most successful are the ones with the lowest barrier of entry so I you know there'll always be very in-depth websites that people can access if they're so inclined but actually the most successful resources are the ones like YouTube where you can just pick up without any particular technical skill your phone and then just click on a link and access a video and it plays mm-hmm. um, and I think those sorts of things are probably the future um, and in the 
in a wider uh, context, I suspect part of the role of medical students and subsequently doctors will change because of the easy access to information. So I think for a long time, doctors were seen as the, the gatekeepers of this specialist knowledge. So, you know, only we had access to it and it was our job to, to tell, you know, impart this, this wonderful information to people. Um, but now, you know, everyone has a smartphone, they can all go on Google or Wikipedia. And our job increasingly, I think, is is to help people manage that um, and moderate the content that they've looked at online, signpost them to the better resources and help them interpret the things that they're reading rather than provide them all this information. So perhaps doctors need to be educated in where the good resources are, for instance, because I don't think that that if a patient asked me where to look online, apart from uh, the obvious ones, I wouldn't know where else to look. I don't know if you if you've been taught that or you know that uh, only through experience no it's not something that I've been taught and it, it probably depends which specialty you're working in so I think as you specialise more you'll become more familiar with the resources that are available but I think certainly you'll be able to uh, potentially look at a print off that might have been brought in or a, web mm. that a patient or a website that a patient will be referring to and look at that and help them mm. uh, help them decide whether or not that's a reliable source or interpret the information that's been put up on the website and whether or not it applies to them yeah all right well i think we've covered quite a lot in the uh, 20 minutes that we've been talking and um, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast did you enjoy it yeah it was good fun so first podcast first podcast yeah, yeah. and uh thanks very much mark for joining us as well it was nice to be back yeah great to have you back and uh, interesting time to have a podcast on technology after the cyber attack, but maybe that will... Uh, <laughs> that's for another day. <laughs> that's for another day, absolutely. Uh, thanks again, and I just wanted to also thank James Fisher and his team from The Dark Side for providing that, and there will be a link at the uh, uh, on the website to follow to uh, more information about The Dark Side of medical education. Thanks very much. See you next time.